Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Donna suggested that I skip to the platform here today, and I thought, well, not really, but uh, this is meant to be a time of celebration. We celebrate the homegoing of someone who's very special to many of us, and uh, known as a mom. She was my dorm mother before I knew her to be my mother-in-law. She's uh, mom and grandma, great-grandma, friend, neighbor, and uh, those kinds of things. My name is Clay Glickert, class of 65. See some couple of uh, old-timers that were younger back then than they are now, along with me. My wife and I were married over 48 years ago right here in this spot. Started our ministry back in the late 60s, early 70s, right here in this church. Lots of memories. Lots of memories. One was, and it'll come into play here today, one was when I was pastor here and the church broadcast its radio, the church services over WJSL. And this is the only microphone that goes over the radio. And I got one of the famous anonymous notes that Houghton was known for back in those days that suggested that while we were singing, I might want to step back from the microphone a little bit. (laughs) I have never forgotten that. And so there will be an opportunity. This is meant to be joyful. We do welcome all of you. Many of you have traveled many miles. And we will be gathering shortly after our service. In fact, as we can transition over to the uh, to the fellowship hall next door here for a time of, of uh, greeting and re-greeting one another, a time of eating and so forth. And so we come to celebrate the life of Lois Johnson, but also to acknowledge the power, if you will, or the source of that life and what that means to her today and what it means to us. You will have opportunity, we have a microphone here, an opportunity to share uh, a thought as to what her life may have meant to you and perhaps what you are going to do with it. Lois Johnson, she was 93. She went to her heavenly prepared place on Saturday, November 9th, 2013. She was born on September 11th, 1920 and lived in Holland until 1960 when she and her husband Donald Johnson went to Houghton College, Houghton, New York, the place of her husband's employment. Her last seven seven years were spent in senior care facilities, the last one in East Lansing, Michigan. She is survived by her children, Donna and Lyon Roberts of Holt, Michigan, Ron and Mary Jane Johnson of Missouri, Ed and Sally Johnson of Fillmore, New York, Marlene and Clay Glickert of Syracuse, New York, and Larry and Betty Johnson of Holland, Michigan. Sixteen grandchildren, 33 great-grandchildren, who will miss her very much. Sisters Marlon Kleiss of Holland, Michigan, Elaine Steinwick of Zeeland, Michigan, and a brother, Reverend J. Deneff of Marion, Indiana. Lois will be remembered for her love of Rook and Scrabble. Her family and friends are blessed with a rich heritage of her love for Jesus Christ, his word, and his church. And the services were held out originally in Central Westland in Holland, Michigan, and here today. And so it's a joy to be able to have you here with us. And my wife Marlene, her oldest daughter, is going to come and share a thought and to share some scripture and lead us in an opening prayer after which we will sing.
Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. It's really special that you would come a long ways and come and honor Mom. Mom was a very special person. I have the honor this morning of reading from Scripture, and one thing that was so special about Mom was that she read her Bible every day, and she always encouraged us to love the Word of God. Isn't that a great legacy? That's beautiful. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians, and I'm reading from the Message Bible. But let me tell you something wonderful, a mystery I'll probably never fully understand. We're not all going to die, but we are all going to be changed. You hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet. And in that time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On signal, from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves, beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At that same moment and in the same way, we'll all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves, and replaced by the imperishable, this mortal replaced by the immortal. Then the saying will come true, death swallowed by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening, and law code guilt that gave sin its leverage is destructive power. But now, in a single victorious stroke of life, all three—sin, guilt, death—are gone. The gift of our Master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. With all this going for us, my dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. I want to just share a couple thoughts in honor of my mom and, of course, really in honor of Jesus because she loved Jesus so much. Two things happened on September 11. The most important spectacular event was really my mother's birth. Now, I know you were thinking of something else. But she changed history for hundreds of people. God's story through her life is so very evident. Even before God created the heavens and the earth, God had already planned for my mom's birth and her homegoing. What a brilliant plan God had. When her mother died, she was only 16. She wanted to make a home for her dad and her three younger siblings, so she quit high school to take care of them. And I never once heard her complain about doing that. When her dad died a few years later, she invited her younger sister, Elaine, to live with them. And she was married at this time and opened up her home. She always wanted her home to be open to other people. And, of course, she was a dorm mother right here in Houghton to 18 college students. And Clay was one of the students at that 
at the Johnson House, and that's where we met, fell in love, and our story continues. Well, World War II came, and my dad joined the Navy, and he was away from home the next three years. I was one years old, and Larry was two years old. And God gave, again, my mom the grace to endure and go through that. She then had three more children, Ed, Ron, and Donna. And one thing that I remember mom doing is she liked to make bread. And I have continued that tradition, making cinnamon bread that all the grandkids love, and of course our own kids love. And of course we had that for our Thanksgiving celebration. But she would make brown bread and white bread and pies. And often she would make a seven-layer dinner, it was called, on Sundays. I will always remember that. And she often would invite my dad's mother, my grandma, to join us for dinner for that day. She also liked to play sports. She was very competitive. We had a ping-pong table in our garage. And she was an excellent player and probably to this day could still, if she was alive, could still, you know, do, hold her own playing ping pong. She also had her own bowling ball. How about that? And she loved shuffleboard. We all remember every place she went, especially when she'd go visit in Florida, every day she would play shuffleboard. And she also loved to play cards. Now, the game of choice with cards was rook. And we actually played rook two nights ago in honor of her in our home because we had all of our family together. And she would also play Rook with her sisters. They called it Club Day. And I remember, you know, we'd go and the sisters would be playing Rook. Well, she was also very, very protective of me when it came to dating. When any boy brought me home, my mom would be there looking out through the curtain and flicking on the lights to the front porch, which meant I must come in. So you grandkids have it so easy. You really do, because that was it. Anyway, but the greatest gift that she really gave to me, as I think about her life, was her example of loving God and loving the Word of God. She encouraged me and Larry to memorize scripture It was called Bible Memory Association, and every year we would memorize those scripture verses. And to this day, those scriptures are in my heart. And once she even drove us all the way down to Shreveport, Louisiana, to attend a week of camp there. When I think about my mom, my mom didn't have an easy life. She faced and endured so many challenges in her life and a lot of transitions that include moving. You know, she lost my dad when she was only 57 years of age. So she was a widow for 35 years. Think of that. That's a long time to be alone. And yet she was, you know, she was a survivor. She was a a victor through all of her circumstances. You know, when she left Michigan and we moved here to Houghton, that was when I was a senior in high school, you know, she left her church, her, all her family, friends, and came here to Houghton. And that was not an easy transition for her, but she did it. She did it, and God gave her grace. She often had to parent alone, because when Dad was working for the college in the public relations department, he was traveling sometimes two weeks at a time. 
Now remember, she's a dorm parent and a mom, and those were not easy days for her to do that all by herself. She had some physical challenges also, but God helped her with all of them. You know, they, she moved from Holland to New York, then she moved back to Holland, then she came back here and was in the nursing home here, and then she went back to Michigan and was in a nursing home there. That's a lot of changes to go through. So I see God's grace very evident in her life. She endured to the end. She was faithful to God, to her husband, her family, and her church. There were many times when we would try to check her finances. She was giving so much money to the church and didn't have hardly enough for herself. Remember when you were checking her finances, Ed? Yes. I just want to share with you, though, though a really precious time. Donalene and I, we drove out to see to Michigan to see her a week before her home going. And we just were there together, and we were just singing hymns together. And she would lead in a hymn, and we would lead in a hymn. It was just precious, you know, because she could just still remember those hymns. And then we prayed with her, and she prayed for us. And I remember her, it's like part of her prayer, she was saying, Oh, I'm so filled with love. And that just means so much. She was filled with love at that time. Mom was, in some ways, her faith was simple but profound. I mean, you know, she, God held on to her, and she held on to God through all of those years. I can only imagine now what her life is like. It's fun to think about, isn't it? What do you think she's doing up there? Just, it's now she's finally able to give and receive all that love that sometimes was hard for her to give and receive. But now she's doing it completely. Completely. One of her favorite songs was On the Wings of a Dove. When I used to come and visit her when she was here in Houghton, that's the song she would often sing. And here are a couple of the words of it. On the wings of a snow-white dove, he sends his pure, sweet love. A sign from above, on the wings of a dove. When troubles surround us, when evils come, when the body grows weak and the spirit grows numb, when these things beset us, he doesn't forget us. He sends down his love. On the wings of a dove. Isn't that beautiful? That's what she would sing over and over when I'd come to visit her here. So I say, thank you, Mom, for giving yourself to the Lord. I love you. We all honor you today. We honor her the best by honoring and loving Jesus. That's so true. I love you, Mom. Oh, I'm supposed to lead in prayer. All right. Lord Jesus, how we thank you. How we thank you for your grace that was so evident in her life. Lord, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We welcome your presence. 
Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence, Jesus. We welcome your presence, Father God. What a joy to know that you are here with us, Lord God, and we all have that wonderful opportunity, Lord, and choice, Lord, to invite you and to make you Lord of our life. Lord, for every person here, Lord Jesus, thank you for each person who came. Lord, may you just manifest yourself in a most wonderful way to each person here today, we pray, and we thank you surely. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Amanda. hymn can be found in your hymnals on page 287 and we will sing verses 1 and 2. 
Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, virtues of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my soul. like to read a tribute to a wonderful sister, Uncle Jay, Jay Deneff, uh, Lois's baby brother, was unable to be here, and he is thinking very much and praying very much of this hour together. And so he wrote that and asked that we might share that, after which uh, Larry, Lois's oldest son, is going to come and just share with us and also to invite you to come as well, as you would. How shall we summarize the life of Lois Johnson? The printed words in an obituary certainly would be inadequate. Such a brief list of facts conveys nothing of the real personality that has gone. Even the fond memories of those left behind are too fragmentary to express the full impact of the one we knew and loved. My tribute to this lovely Christian lady, Lois Johnson, was her faith in Christ, and that was implicit a totally committed life to Jesus. There was no doubt Lois was a completely surrendered woman to Jesus Christ. Therefore, she was ready when the master called her to her heavenly home. If you were to ask me in one sentence, as few words as possible, the secret of Lois being such an outstanding Christian, I would, without a moment's hesitation, reply with just four words, adversity and Jesus Christ. Lois was an impoverished young girl of 16 when her mother died. Left behind at home were her three brothers, who were ages 20, 18, and 5. That was Jay. Two sisters, ages 11 and 8. Her older brother, Stanley, and a sister, Nora, were married and out of the house. Soon after her mother's death, she went to Hastings Camp in Michigan, and it was there that she had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And with that as a start and a continuing faith with a multitude of problems, Lois proved that she was a victor and not a victim of the circumstances in her life. Years later, when I became an adult, she shared with me her experience at Hastings Camp Meeting. God told her to discontinue her education 
and to make a home for her dad and family, and that she did in obedience to God. I can't explain it. All I know, looking back, that we younger ones in the family could have been placed in foster homes. My sister Lois wouldn't know a split infinitive if she saw it coming down the street. But one thing is for certain, she had a personal relationship with Christ. She made our house a home. As I reflect back on those days as a young boy, full of anger and frustration, I was ungrateful for all she had sacrificed to make me a home. As I matured in years, I regret my unkindness and wrong attitudes would made it so difficult for my sister, for she did an excellent job, a super job, without any training or knowledge of how to raise a family. Lois, from the very start of her Christian life until the very end of her days on this planet, Earth, had an intimate access to God's heart and mind through the Word of God. God's Word did more than draw her near Christ. It became her life. She needed God's life-giving Word as she lived day to day in her problem life and world. She couldn't do much with the past, so she worked with the present. She knew that something in life was good because she believed that good Life was good because of her faith in Christ, and that gave her hope, not fear. Lois believed with all of her heart that statement in Romans 8:28, for we know that all, happen, all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. To Lois, that opening phrase to that verse was no guesswork, and we know. She wasn't dealing with something that may not be true. It was to her something she knew to be a fact. The statement was not to the effect that she understood, but simply that she knew. The fact was that she knew Jesus herself and knew him himself. Lois went through some very deep valleys in life, but she could stand anything because she knew that she could get through it because of her life was centered in God. And new adversity was never final. I like that line. The adversity is never final. She knew God would work good out of bad. She developed a glorious hope. There are moments when one person makes a special difference that no one else can make, and that person was my sister, Lois. To me, Lois was a woman of integrity and strength who greatly respected and reverenced and obeyed the living Christ. The Apostle Paul's emphasis emphasizes the beautiful character of a Christian as the fragrance of life and that the gospel is like a sweet perfume taken from 2 Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 2. There was a great wholesome fragrance of this kind of character in the life of Lois Johnson, an aroma which was a life-giving perfume. To all of you, her family, may God bless the memories of your good mother, grandmother, who leaned so much upon the Lord and learned to live day by day trusting God's word. Life was a trial run for which Lois qualified. She fought a good fight. She finished, finished the race She kept the faith, and death was and is a promotion. We are sure that the first moment of heaven's glory outweighed her last months of suffering and her trials and struggles. Her warm love for the Lord, her unflagging zeal, and her freely spending herself have been mightily used of God and for his glory. Thank you, Lois, for being all you were in Christ. Until then, Brother Jay. Larry.
Thank you so much for joining us here today for this service in memory of our mother. We appreciate um, every single person that's here today. Um, I wish we had time to capture your fondest memories of her and what it was that sparked you to come here today. Um, but thank you for helping us honor our mother. Our family kind of had two homes. Um, Marlene's already told you that she's the second oldest, okay? That second oldest is very important when you talk to Marlene. Um, she's also, she also referred to this Bible memory program. So I would just like to set the record straight for one last time on that subject today, okay? That was, that was, that Bible memory program was a, a deal where you memorize scripture verses and then every, every week you, you memorize like 15, 20 verses and then you would recite them to the pastor's wife in Holland, Michigan. And if you recited them references and you did it fairly well, then you were given a prize. And the prize was usually a Sugar Creek gang book or Something like that, okay? You, most of you people don't even know what Sugar Creek Bank books are, okay? But they were really good at the time, all right? And they were Christian nature and slanted and everybody, uh, young people liked them at that time. So the idea was you would learn, um, I, think, I think we learned either 200 or 250 verses a year. And then we'd take a break and then do it a second year and a third year and a fourth year. So wouldn't you think that after you did this for four years, you had learned a thousand Bible memory verses with references and everything. Wouldn't you think that should just about be the end of it, wouldn't you think? So then you, um, then you get invited to a camp. And when you get to camp, you have to sit across from a counselor, and you have to start reciting verses. And you may recite verses with references as long as you wish, okay? The counselor would listen to these. So, bottom line of all this, if you haven't guessed it, is um, I learned a thousand verses. I really thought that was pretty decent, okay? This younger sister of mine... Um, just, just to show me up, just to beat me, she memorized 1,050, all right? So I've just been going on record right now. This is the last time I'm ever going to refer to that, Marlene. But um, I want all of you to know that she memorized 1,050 verses, okay, and left me in the dust, all right? We're growing up in Holland, Michigan, and... Uh, Marlene and I went to the same grade school that our mother went to. It was a school called Maplewood Elementary School. And um, mom went to that same school. And uh, if you were to go there, of course, today, you can't even, the school is no longer there. Um, it's been raised. And everything, of course, is different. But um, I, I, my memories of back then with mom are, are tougher than Marlene's, okay? Um, mine are tough because that mother of mine had this silly rule, okay? Um, when you 
you had to come straight home from school and change your clothes before you could do anything. Now, that's the most unreasonable rule that I have ever heard in my life, okay? Um, that had so many awful consequences to it. If you kept that rule, you were done. You were burned, okay? Because what happened, by the time you went home and changed clothes and got to the basketball court, they had already made the teams. And by the, or by the time you got to the baseball diamond, the teams were already made. And so I cannot tell you how many times I broke that rule and mother would tell me, um, boy, when dad gets home, we're going to take care of this, okay? And um, sometimes dad did take care of it, even with a belt, okay? But sometimes he took care of it by saying, I, I get it, son. I, I understand why you would go play ball first. Um, and so I would experience some mercy from my dad, okay? And then one other thing I want to tell you about with my mom. Um, mom, because she just she just loved the Lord. Um, she had one more thing. She wanted us to have family altar. Do you, do you younger grandkids, do you even remember what a family altar is or what it was back then? That's what it was called, okay? That meant that right after the supper, my dad would open the Bible, and invariably he would open it to the longest chapter in the Bible, night after night, okay? And we would read from the Bible, and then we would pray, and mother's wish was that we'd go around the table and everybody take their turn praying, of course, and all of this time, my friends are making noise in the garage saying, Larry, when in the world are you ever going to come out and let's go play ball? And I had to endure these family altars night after night after night. And what I found out later is that family altars was a hard thing for my mom and dad to do. They saw that Marlene loved it, of course. She's always been the sweet, pious, devout Christian lady, okay? But for me, I, wasn't, I didn't always like that. And um, Dad saw the struggle that it caused, and I'm sure Mom and Dad had many a discussion when we weren't around as to what does this family altar look like and how should we keep it in our family? Dad was a um, dad was the planner of our family, a budgeteer. If you know Ed at all, then you know where that Ed. You know he's the apple that didn't fall very far from the tree. Okay, um, Dad was like that, and he could he had this gift of being able to look out a long ways and and plan accordingly and do it with such skill and wisdom. When um, when I was a senior in high school and Marlene was a junior, um, I remember Dad saying to us, um, we really want you to go to Houghton College. In Dad's mind, there was no other college in the world, okay? Uh, one more. University of Michigan was up there pretty high too, okay? But if you wanted to talk about Christian colleges, it was Houghton, always Houghton, okay? 
there were other Christian colleges, but nothing quite like Houghton in Dad's mind. And um, so he started to talk to us about how he wanted his kids to be graduates of Houghton. But there was one problem, and that was money. So Dad figured out a way to do this. He and Mom talked it over, and they decided that if they would move to Houghton and buy a building, which was going to be the dorm down the street here a little ways, then he could save all the room and board costs for his children, one by one, going through the school. And that would be a way that would make it financially possible for his kids to go to Houghton College. So I still remember when we packed up that summer before I'm going to be a freshman here at Houghton, and he and Mom moved our entire family to Houghton so that we would have that benefit. Uh, Jay's letter and some of what Marlene shared with you tells you right from the start that mom and dad knew how to sacrifice. And that's how I remember them the most today, and especially mom today. The sacrifices that she made for our family. I don't want to say the wrong thing here right now, but when we moved to Houghton, Dad loved it. Just absolutely loved this place. He loved the college. He loved all the friends they met and all of that. And it was just a beautiful, positive, wonderful experience for Dad. For Mom, it was a little different. You remember, she drops out of school in eighth grade. And now she comes to a sophisticated college environment with emphasis on PhDs. That wasn't mom's cup cup of tea at all. She got very uncomfortable in the presence of people who were highly educated and so forth. And I don't mean that in any way negative to the Houghton family. That was mom's deal, okay? So she lived here for many years with that pressure on her. Why? Because she had bought into the dream that her kids would graduate from Houghton. So she sacrificed again in her life to make all that happen. Dad eventually retires from here and um, goes back to Holland. And um, we all thought they were going to have this wonderful, long retirement years. All of Dad's budgeting and planning was going to pay off. And they were going to have this long retirement, easy life course, connected to the church very, very strongly. But dad um, dies in 78, just a short time after they got to Holland, it seems like. And now mom, for the first time, is by herself 
And I always thought to myself, what will happen when dad, if dad dies first, what will happen to our mother? She had always kind of been under his wing. Dad was always the, the voice of authority for sure. And, the, and he kind of ruled the house, okay? I thought, anyway. now there may have been some other ways that she ruled it. I'm not sure, okay? But then dad dies and I watch my mother go through a transition in her life. And she did it with such grace, with such dignity. There came, I used to, I remember the day when mom couldn't write a check. She wouldn't know how to balance the checkbook. But I also, later, after dad's gone, I remember that not only could she write the checks, but she knew how to balance the checkbook. And she made all of those adjustments with the grace of God. That brings me to the most powerful lesson that I had the privilege of learning. And that's the lesson of grace. Uh, I think it was in Jay's letter when he makes a statement in there about um, mom knew even if she didn't understand. And I saw that in her a million times. And there would be things that would happen in her life and she would cling to her faith. She would cling to her God because she knew that to be true. Although she didn't always understand it. And then I saw her couple that with God's grace. How it is that God has this unconditional love for his children, for his family. How it is that God can say to us when we have messed up so badly. How it is that God can say, you're still mine. I still love you. I still believe in you. What I would like to do with this sharing part of the service is there's one more thought I want to share with you, but I'd like to do it after you've had a chance to share. Because I think you're going to throw some light on how we finish the sharing time of this service today. And don't get too concerned. We've asked Clay not to preach more than two hours, okay? So um, we're hoping to get out of here in a decent hour, okay? But um, we would like to just open this mic right now. And if anybody would like to just come and share a thought concerning mother, you could be family, friend, doesn't make any difference, whoever would like to do that. And then after you've had an opportunity to do that, um, I'm going to finish my part of this with one more little thought that my mother would want us to share today, okay? So I'm just, if you, if you would like to do that, just come to the mic. If you would, give us your name, maybe where you live, and your connection to mother, and then give us your comments, okay? 
And may God bless each one of you that does that. Here comes Larry Mullen. All right. <laughs>
just, those are just really cool things from a, a, a grandchild who laughs a five kid in the Clicker clan, where a grandmother, she looked at me and she thought it was important to invest in me. So I love those things, and uh, I wanted to stand up and share that with you guys. She was a really sweet lady, and uh, we're going to miss her, but we'll see her again. I don't know, Clay, maybe they're ready to hear you preach. I, uh... <laughs> that should motivate something. <laughs> 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 you remember, if you don't share, then he's going to start preaching. So, you know, take your choice here. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on. And the uh, phrase that I want to leave with you is this one. Um, the last few times I was with mom I uh, found her bible and was thumbing through it and I found I was quite surprised when I found her bible um I thought I'd find a bible that was full of color um lots of underlined lots of notes and uh instead this bible was well read there was no question about that okay but very few markings in it and the one that I found was Acts chapter 3 and that's the story of Peter and John are on the way to the temple and uh, in their religious busyness a beggar who has done this day after day after day for years gets their attention and he says to Peter, holds out a hand to Peter, asking for some alms, asking for some money, asking for some help of any kind. And Peter looks at him and I'm sure his heart was filled with compassion and with love. And then Peter offers these words, Silver and gold, have I none, very little, not much. But here's the phrase, such as I have, I give you. For the beggar that day, it meant a total change of life. Little did the beggar know that when he was going to come to the end of that day, he would be running and jumping and dancing for joy for the first time in his life. Because what Peter had to offer him, even though it wasn't much monetarily, it was so much to the beggar. Mom, what would you give us today? Don't have much silver and gold. There's not much of that left. 
talk to Ed, he'll tell you exactly how much is left, okay? But there's not much of that left. But what I do have, I give it to you. Now when I look back and I look at that such as I have, holy smokes, that's an awful lot today. She has given us an awful lot. And we receive it with joy and with appreciation and love. Thank you. We shan't be long. Sally, I know you're a little concerned. Job asked the question, if a man dies, will he live again? It's a good question. Something we all have to face the older we get. The uh, history tells us, experience tells us, everything tells us that we're not going to get out of this place alive. We're all going to die. We're all going to die, and yet we're not, because Jesus said that he who believes in me will never die. Never Never die. If somehow we went out today and crossed the street and you stumbled and fell and really hurt yourself to the extent that you could not move and you saw a big old 18-wheeler barreling down through Houghton here and here's a rhetorical question, but would you rather get hit by that 18-wheeler or by the shadow of that 18-wheeler? If you were skiing down Houghton Skill there, would you... Would you rather hit the tree or would you rather slide under the shadow of that tree? It's a little obvious. But the psalmist tells us, though, we pass through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, so close. So meaningful to us because it seems so final. It's the end of of life as we know it. And yet every one of us here theoretically could have a funeral service for something about yourself that you've lost. Now, if I lost the finger, I didn't, but if I lost that finger, and I don't know if you've lost a finger here or not, but I could have a little funeral for that finger. Could send a flower, the whole nine yards, have you all come, funeral. It's my finger, but it's not me. And all of you have lost some hair. Once you cut the hair, that hair is dead. Cut a fingernail. You pull a tooth, lost a tooth, gallbladder. There's a lot of things that you can lose. You can lose an arm, you can lose a leg, but you're still here because you are not just a a finger or a gallbladder or something else. Yeah, you, you are a person and we have a body. And that person shall never die. We look back into Genesis because what I want to share is what I'm calling Lois's challenge. No more problems, no more challenges, and the likes of which she had. But I believe that she is saying something powerful to us here today, and it's not about her, but it's really about life, your life. And where do you go from here? And what does today mean? And what does tomorrow mean? And what does when you're 40 or 50 or 60 years down the pike, like many of us who were 
showed up back in the 60s there. What does it mean? You see, way back in the beginning, when God created man, he said, let us make man in his own image, in our own image. And that wasn't a male, that wasn't a female, that was a spirit. God is spirit. And that spirit is invisible, has no body. God has no body. You are not going to see him because God is is spirit. But he made man in his image. And we could talk a, a lot about what that is. But if there's one thing that is true about that, about man, mankind, is that there is an eternal component to him, to you today. Everywhere you go in our American culture, people talk about who pass. They said they're looking down upon us. We talk about the hereafter. Even those who believe in reincarnation, there's something about the human spirit that believes that there's something beyond. The guys who crashed into the Twin Towers on Mom's birthday way back in 2001 believed that they were going to paradise. They were going someplace. I I guess I want to say surprise, but you see, there's something in the human spirit that's eternal. And when God said, let us make man out of his image, everything that God made up to that point, he made it out of nothing. He said, let there be, and there was, and it was all good, and it all became a garden in which he placed the love of his heart, you and me. And so man was created out of nothing. And then it tells us that God fashioned the male man out of the dust of the earth, breathed in him, became a living soul. And what did that mean? That means that we all want to go to heaven. In here, I'd say, how many want to go to heaven? I'm sure most of us want to go to heaven. How about now? Well, no, not right now. Here, I have a gun. Let's take care of business. You want to go to heaven? We can all say, you know, we all want to go to heaven, but right, not right now. Why? Because you and I were made out of clay. <laughs> the dust of the earth. We're tied to this earth. God created us that way. We want to live. And God wants us to live as well. He didn't come to earth to get us into heaven. He came into earth to get heaven into us. His word, his ways. It's all meant to, to be a garden out of which we can experience life to its full. And God saw that that wasn't good enough, and then God created out of the side of man, the female man. And that speaks to us of community, relationships, closeness. Loneliness is a very sad, sad condition. You see, and so how important family is, how important marriages and family and church and community and all of these kinds of things. We get into trouble when we're alone. Life is difficult when we're alone. Life is sad when we're alone. And so God gave us to each other as a reminder, ultimately, is what he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wherever you go, wherever you go, lo, I am with you always. An incredible, incredible promise that God gives to us. And so there's something about us here today that there is an eternal component. We shall live forever. And yet there's something about life. We want to live it here. And the need for community, for fellowship, for love, the relationship piece, huge. Jesus provides that. He provides that for us. And he gave us a body. And he gave us a spirit. And right now, the Spirit enjoys worship. If you know Jesus, you enjoy the Word, you enjoy all of this. 
But the body wants to go out and play basketball. The body wants to quick, hey, let's get this over with and let's go eat. The body says, let's finish that and let's play cards. Let's just have fun. That's what the body wants to do. And that's appropriate. There's a place for that. But we are spirit and soul and spirit and body. And God gave us a soul. I look at that, friends, today kind of as a bridge. Our mind, our will, our emotions, so unique, so distinct from anything else that God created. And when he gave, in our body, he gave us that soul that we can begin to realize that there is, a, there is an ongoing battle between our spirit and our soul and our body, but our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. So you have decisions that everywhere you are in life today is a result of choices that you have made and that I have made. Choices. We're not victims. You know, we ought not to be. God has come that we would be more than conquerors, not victims. Even the tragedies, the difficulties, the lion's dens, the fiery furnaces of life, like mom had. See, she made lemonade out of her lemons. And only God in our spirit can do that. Miraculous, brilliant, awesome. And that's the choice that we have today. Is that no matter how difficult or challenging or exciting or fulfilling. Maybe you've got more money than you need. Maybe you've got incredible good looks. Maybe things are going so well for you. You say, man, life is good. But somewhere along the line, when you come right down to it, life without, without Christ, well, he came that we might have life today and that we might have it forever. So mom has moved out of her body. She never died. Oh, the body, she moved out. Thank God for that. We're excited about that. We miss her. She's on vacation now in a sense. There's an opportunity, as my son said, you know, someday we shall see her again. We will, and many others who have gone on. And so there is a choice, a decision that's there for each and every one of us. And no matter who you are and what your religion is or where you stand with Jesus or where you stand with Bible, if you know it or not know it, believe in it or not believe it, I'm telling you, I'm sharing with you, you are spirit and you are body and you are relational. And Jesus came to kind of bring them together and to bring a sense of purpose and meaning. And it's not going to be found just in this building, but it's going to be found in our mind and in our heart. And so there's that invitation. It's a choice. You can choose him or not. It's really up to you. We encourage you to do that. That's what mom did. And I conclude with the, the challenge that I saw that. This was a, a very emotional moment uh, for me just thinking about it. I wish to close with this thought. Mom's 93rd birthday, we had the privilege of being out there in, in uh, Holland with her brother and her sisters and family. And uh, she came, and she came to Larry's house for lunch. You know, and there's a group of us, the family was there as we were getting ready to go towards and have a party. And so mom is there, and her, you know, and glad to be there, and yet, uh, as has been referred to, often feeling not really, you know, just not as comfortable. She wasn't a confident person and spoke with authority and confidence and things like that. Uh, and, and she was not strong in, in, in all of that. And Larry asked her, said, Mom, would you pray? She says, you want me to pray for the, you know, just the blessing for lunch? He says, you want me to pray? Larry says, yes, I'd like you to pray. You can pray, can't you? <laughs> and she says, yes. And she prayed. 
Mom Johnson did not pray. I heard Lois Johnson, mighty woman of God, intelligent, clear, bright, wise, gracious, loving, powerful. As I listened to that, my eyes, lo- oh, I opened her because I've known mom since, well, before I knew her daughter. And she prayed something like this. There was opening praise and gratefulness to the Lord. No stuttering, no slow speech. It was clear. It was clear, sharp. Her mind was sharp. She was with it. It was her spirit communing through her body to the Lord. And she went from gratefulness and praise to gratefulness to the Lord and for the love that she had with her kids. Now her kids. There was love for her children. Clear, powerful, real. Maybe not knowing how to express it in the flesh, in the body, but in her spirit it was there. It was there, Donna. It was there, Marlene. It was there, Ed. It was there, Ron's family. It was there, Larry. Her love for her family. And it was not long, and, and, and it's funny, what comes to my mind is, Mommy forgot to pray for the food. And just about that time, Mom turned and headed for the dinner table and asked the Lord to bless the food. She didn't forget it. She didn't forget it. And I said to myself, that was Lois Johnson. Didn't see much of that Lois Johnson sometimes. You saw, you know, and, you, and, you, and, it, called, and it called us to, you know, that, again, the great memories, the great thoughts that we did have and the, and the challenges that were there. But she's with the Lord today. She's not stuttering. She's not halted. She's not uneducated. She's not feeling insecure or inferior. Any of those kinds of things. Any of those. She's with the Lord. And that's the hope that we have in the future. But I believe, brothers and sisters, that we can experience a lot of that today. And so, Amanda, if you're going to come up and lead us in our closing song here. And while she can, can we just take... This next 30 seconds. What does this mean to you? What does this day mean to you? And what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Think about that. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's sing that together. Show. 
Coming to close this part of our service and to transition to lunch next door, which we're invited. Hope you all come and give us a chance to greet each other is uh, Ed. He's going to come and ask God's blessing on the food here. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for being such an awesome God. We thank you for everyone at this service today. How the body of Christ reaches out to each of us as we suffer our loss for mom. We know she's in a better place. We just pray that each of us would do as my mom did and just seek Jesus and make that our life. And we pray, though, bless this food that has been prepared for us. We thank you, Lord, for the people who have done this for us as a family. And we display our blessing in everybody that's here today. Amen. Well, you are dismissed, and if you know most of you, you, you know you can go downstairs, right down the stairway in here, and you're only 10, 12 feet from the door. I'll save yourself some chill. God bless you. We'll see you next door.